Welcome to the Denver United podcast series on leadership in every season. Our hope is to equip you to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in our city. Hello, Denver United, and welcome to another episode of our podcast series, Leadership in Every Season, exploring what it means to represent Jesus in these uncertain times in all the spaces that he's put us, uh, bringing truth and hope into the culture that's become dominated by anxiety and uncertainty and fear uh, and all kinds of frivolity on social media and everything in between. Our guest today is Kira Gailis, an elder at Denver United with her husband Arvis, a career missionary uh, in the sector particularly of international education and now uh, a leader in the education realm here in Denver. And uh, Kira, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. This is a pleasure. You know, um, as we are together discovering that we've woken up uh, in a brand new world, we're all learning how to navigate it. And one of the ways that once we started to digest what is coronavirus and what does this mean for us individually and us as a, as a community and a populace at large, uh, one of the ways that we've started experiencing the uncertainty is those of us who have kids, and that's, that's many of us, most of us probably in our church family, uh, in the realm of education. Our kids are off of school indefinitely. It's like the spring break that never ends, and we're all figuring out how to live in these new times and what does this mean for uh, our kids and for education going forward it seems like nobody knows when this is going to end or what the world looks like on the other side and I wonder if you can give us some perspective as um, the conversations are starting to run rampant around what are we going to do with the kids and all the more as now we're all working from home um, from the the realm of education but first would you just tell us a little bit about your role Well, currently, I am the deputy head of school and the early childhood principal at the International School of Denver, and that's in in Lowry. So um, we're kind of our foot in Denver, but at the same time, also with the independent school systems. And um, right now, of course, all the schools are trying to decide how to do online learning, what is it going to look like? Some are calling it virtual learning. Some are calling it e-learning, online learning. It's got all these different names and using all these different platforms. So every school is a little bit different about what they're planning to do. Um, So it's coming out little by little, actually. There's, in the diversity of those experiences, uh, I've got a middle schooler who goes to a private Lutheran school and they're already up and running doing e-learning and he's bemoaning the amount of schoolwork he has. His older brother uh, is um, at South High School and they're on spring break now and wondering what if any online school is coming, there's a a wide variety of experiences. One will have one talk to their neighbor who's having another. And I think there's some fear and uncertainty. Are my kids going to fall behind? What are you seeing kind of at the broadest context from uh, the private school to the public school in Denver to uh, the surrounding suburbs uh, as the general trajectory? Are we getting this figured out? Well, I can tell you from an international perspective because being in an international school, I have gotten the perspective from my colleagues that are in China and are in Korea. and all of that. So we've been able to model some of our online learning um, based on the things that have happened four to six weeks ago. And um, so that's 
good for us. But um, at the same time, I believe we're having a lot of discussions. I know the public schools are having a lot of discussions, deep discussions about how this can actually happen. And one of the hardest things with the public schools is that, you know, in order to do online learning, you need to have a computer at home or you need to have a device right. for your child. And a lot of families can't afford that. So how would how would that happen? Um, in a very productive way. Um, we have less of that in the private school system because most people have an extra device or can take some time off to allow their children. Um, and then a lot of the private schools also give devices to their children. So it's, a, it's, a, it's very different. Um, and I believe what we need to do is to think about what is the standard at our school that we go to? Because you know when people start saying, my child's gonna get behind, my child's gonna get behind, guess what? The most of the children at the school that you go to are going to have the same level playing field because of the way the system that they will implement in your school or in your school district. Um, because at, at our school, we have a level playing field. We have every child from one to, from grade one to grade eight has a Chromebook. So at home, and they're doing that. A little bit harder with our early childhood children, of course. But um, I think that should calm your nerves and calm your feeling a little bit. Um, there's going to be a, a level playing field and a standard. Um, for your school and for your school district. You mentioned um, the perspective, not only uh, across the metro region, public to private, but across the world. And you're being, uh, having your background in international education. Um, there's something that you mentioned earlier and I wanted to unpack. This idea that, yes, perhaps our students are getting behind relative to where they would have been had coronavirus not happened. But in a sense, the whole world is getting a little bit behind. It's true. It's true, exactly what you're saying. Everyone is dealing with this all over the world. And so maybe we can exhale, recognizing that we're all gonna catch up together and, um, and, and there's gonna be light at the end of the tunnel. It's true, and you know, next year's AP tests are still gonna be next year's AP tests for our seniors and they will have a year to prepare for their AP tests. So this year it's a little bit strange. You know, but next year, everything will fall back into place. You mentioned the seniors, and this there's just no way around it. This year's senior classes in high school and in college are, are having an irregular experience. Uh, our neighbor's son is home from college. It's his senior year, and we saw him yesterday, asked him, what are they doing about graduation? And he said, they don't know. We're waiting to hear, but we're probably not going to go back to Oregon. And so uh, how I'm curious, how are you all approaching that, and what are you hearing and seeing? Well, I think it's the most definitely it's the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And what the hardest piece is, like for instance, we sat in an admin meeting and there were 12 of us trying to um, come together for the, to write the communication for the school a week and a half ago, right? After, you know, the governor had said one thing and then the next day all the, all the public schools closed for an extended period of time. And we had to then sit in meetings for four or five hours to decide what we were going to do again. And that's just a from a school's perspective, but um, things are changing daily. And, you know, we keep saying in the, in the school system, let's be flexible, let's be flexible. And to be honest, this calls for so much flexibility for the school, for the parents, for the children. It's um, flexibility like we've never seen before. Man, that is good. Flexibility and I think grace for one another. I've heard a number of uh, folks in our neighborhood who are getting frustrated and a little snippy about the inconsistency of their students' experience or the teacher's communication, the, 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 the due dates of assignments and things like that. Can you give us a little perspective from the teachers? You're overseeing teachers and, and managing their work. How is it for you all? I can only imagine if it's a new frontier for us at home, it's equally so there. It is true. It's like probably today was one of my busiest days I've had in the whole school year. 
Um, and that was dealing with one meeting after the other of just trying to figure out what we're going to do, to be honest. And that's, that is that fear of the unknown. And for the teachers too, it's basically, well, how long am I going to have to do this? I don't know. I can't give you an answer. And um, then them starting um, to work on online platforms that they've had such a minimal amount of time for training and to prepare themselves for because we didn't use them in the past. And so they're learning as they go. And I do, I, I appreciate so many parents who see that because the amount of time that they're spending at home to plan for these lessons is double what they would normally do. Wow, It's double. And they're up at, late at night and they're exhausted. I had a meeting with teachers online, 18 teachers online this morning at eight o'clock and they just looked frazzled and it was already Monday morning. Wow. Kira. Only Monday morning. Oh my goodness. I'll tell you what, I, I'm having a, a burst of revelation as a parent, as you're telling me this, we've had a lot of compassion societally and rightfully so for nurses, doctors, and others in, um, in healthcare as our first responders in this crisis. I think it's easy not to see the double duty that's being asked of our teachers as they're having to, to lay tracks and run on them at the same time. How as parents can we, and, and representatives in our community, uh, can we be a part of the solution and maybe a blessing to our teachers and our schools. I just think um, if there's an online survey that goes out from your school, like we sent our first one out last Friday, and um, there were some incredible, incredible suggestions. And, it, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to word our suggestions um, negatively, mm -hmm. you know, and rudely. And I just encourage people, you know, in this time and season that you can't see people face to face, that we think twice before we answer or before we write something, um, because we have to think about all the work and all the effort that's gone on on the other side. So I just encourage parents in that way um, to really be thinking about the amount of time and effort that it's taking their teachers to do the work that they're doing. But at the same time, also to be um, proactive in giving their suggestions for improvement because we've had incredible suggestions wow. from families about how to improve. And we've only been online since last Wednesday. So this is the fourth day. Really, you're describing a, a practical education front application of scripture's teaching to speak the truth in love mm -hmm. and model that kind of, uh, of discourse in the world of our kids' schools. It's so true. helpful. And how valuable in a time like this where teachers are stretched thin, they're facing the same health pandemic that we are. Uh, how valuable is a word of encouragement, a quick sentence email uh, in reply to a teacher? It's true. And it was amazing. The first day that we launched online, um, our head of school, pulled, he got about six or eight emails from parents that were just incredible, just positive. And um, he, of course, did not put the names of the parents that had written them and sent them out to the whole faculty. Um, basically, these are the comments that I got today. And that was so motivating and refreshing because wow. they had been working Monday and Tuesday all day long just to launch on Wednesday. And the tendency would be while things are new and we're uh, frankly all um, ill-equipped for them, this snuck up on us. Nobody was sitting at home thinking, what would be our um, epidemic contingency plans for second semester, right? Uh, the tendency would be to give negative feedback. Like you said, I love the practical counsel to think twice. And then uh, let's lead in that realm of encouragement. Just to think six or seven emails buoyed your whole staff. We could all be the ones to do that in the schools that we, Denver United parents, uh, touch around the Denver metro area. Boy, that's it's encouraging. True. And it would be, it would be such a, um, a motivational and an uplifting moment for the teachers if you did that. And, you know, that came from Denver United families and people, people here, they know.
and representing Jesus mm-hmm. in practical ways in times of uncertainty and change and fear. Um, that really is living out the gospel in real time. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, as you are a, an educator and a leader in that realm in our congregation, you're also a leader in our church family and one of the mother's voices uh, in this big, crazy family as one of our elders and as a veteran mom yourself. You've got two college students or college-age young adults uh, who are home and you're navigating this in real time with the rest of us. Um, I think that we're feeling as parents, and I include myself in this number, uh, a, a real pressure and a uh, Uh, maybe um, a bit of condemnation around our inadequacy at being our kids' teachers with virtual school while trying to figure out how to do our own jobs from home all in one confined space. Uh, Can you offer some practical coaching? Well, to be honest, if you would ask me this about three or four hours ago, I probably would have been pulling my hair out as I as you asked the question <laughs> because I was amid, I was in the middle of it. I was trying to do um, online meetings, and there was noise in the house, and you could hear it. And I was having to mute and unmute, and then I go on the <laughs> I go outside, and then I come in, and I I know there because I was having meetings with people who have children, and their children were walking in in the middle of the meetings and asking questions, and and um, some. Some employers have patience for that and some don't. Right. I think actually that happened to Mari today too, three or four hours ago, except um, the one walking in, the child walking in in the middle of the virtual meeting was me. (laughs) She was (laughs) in the kitchen counter. Actually, my husband did the same thing. (laughs) Luckily, he knows everyone on the other side. They're like, hi, Arvis. But um, it's not always like that. It really depends on where you work and how formal of an atmosphere you have at work. So um, we can identify with that. Um, My biggest my, my biggest thing for me right now, and I'm living this, is setting the schedules for my family and saying to my family, listen, this is when I'm really busy and I need you to do these things. And, you know, it's easier, of course, with 20-year-olds in the house and three, and fi- three to five-year-olds, it's not so easy. But um, really setting that standard at, like the night before and saying, I am in meetings all day long till one o'clock tomorrow. And this is the expectation that I have for you tomorrow. And I believe that small children also can... They can follow that if you give them the expectation ahead of time. Um, It causes a lot more peace in your home. Um, I'm a firm believer of that as a mom. Even when I had, you know, five-year-olds, seven-year-olds at home, I would warn them of things ahead of time. And things were much more calm in our home if I warned them ahead of time instead of just letting things play out as they happen. So that's a big piece of advice just as a mom that I would give. Um, Advanced planning, a little bit of it goes a long way. Thinking about stuff that we used to be able to do on auto pilot now, uh, just a little conversation upstream of it. I love the idea of setting schedules, setting expectations, and maybe asking a little more of them, believing that they're a little more capable than we on a daily basis in non-crisis times give them credit for. Well, I'll give you a schedule that we have at our house, which seems a little bit crazy, but since I'm working all day long and in and out of online meetings, um, you know, there's not a lot of cooking that's going on during the day. So people are kind of, you know, at their own will for breakfast and for, and for lunch, um, you know, they're making their sandwich, they're making their salad, whatever they need to do. But every day there's a different person that's responsible for the kitchen cleanup. And that's their job all day long. And it's become a joke. But what else do they have to do? They're at home doing nothing. Right. So it's like today is your day. <laughs> Thank you for saying it. You know, but the <laughs> funny thing is also my husband's home. So he's the one that's going around like 
okay, did you take, did you empty the dishwasher yet? Did you do this? Mom's coming in. She's going to expect the kitchen to be clean when she comes in. And I know it's funny that you are doing that with your college students, but you know, sometimes those high school and college students are the worst. They're just going to put their feet sure. up on the table and do nothing. And all they're going to do is put sink, put, put dishes in your sink one after the other, after the other. And at the end of the day, you're finished with your meetings and you can't even see your kitchen because they've done nothing. all day. Right. And you come home from work only to go to work doing the dishes. You know, it occurs to me as you say this, that this is a way of things uh, in family life, that there is a degree of entitlement and a degree of serve me that's kind of bound up in the, in the, the, the selfish, sinful nature of a human heart. And in the context of family, we learn selfless service. And in that way, this crisis is a great opportunity for us to learn some rhythms or develop some rhythms and learn some lessons collectively that God intended us perhaps to learn in the context of family, but which daily life maybe excuses us from to an extent. It's true. I, I totally agree with that. Boy, that's really, really encouraging. And I can tell you personally, for me, um, really insightful as well. You and Arvis um, have been serving Jesus for a long time. Um, before you came to Denver and, and we met you and have become friends, uh, you guys pastored in, in Latvia and you've served in various places around the world. This crisis, um, this, this global pandemic, this is new to us. Uh, it's, it's new to our generation of citizens of planet earth uh, to an extent, but it's not new to the human race to experience hardship, to go through crisis. And in some ways, I think we Americans have been maybe artificially insulated from it. And it's so true. it's not to say that it, it hurts less on the other side of the world, mm -hmm. but maybe we're less accustomed. So our muscles are less developed in response. I wonder if you can offer some perspective and any maybe insight uh, on where we are as a, as a, uh, as a community and as a nation and what we as Denver United um, can learn and maybe inject into our community in this time? Well, one of the things that struck me is I lived in the former Soviet Union at the time of the bombing of the White House. So that was in 1991. Wow. And You um, lived in the Soviet Union in 1991. It, it, well, it had, there wasn't the Soviet Union anymore. It was Russia. The former time. Soviet the Union former Soviet as Union. of within like months. Right. And with the bread lines and oh my um, goodness. you would stop outside because people would be selling frozen chicken from a box right outside. And it was very similar to that today. We watched, walked in Wash Park and there was yep. a man, a, a man selling his filet mignon out of the back of his uh, out of the back of his van. So it was just, it just was like a deja vu for me a little bit. But um, one of the things, you know, our mayor and our governor are saying a few things about staying in, about they're giving us very, very um, wise directives right now. And I know we don't want to be anxious. We don't want to be in fear. And we don't also want to walk around with, oh, nothing's going to ever happen to me because I'm a child of God. There's right. a balance in all of that because we are redeemed from the curse of the law, from poverty, sickness, and death, but we also need to be really wise. Yes. And so for me, in, well that, in that time and time of living in the former Soviet Union and us having curfews and being told only where we could go and all of those types of things, I mean, we had to obey that. We, and, you know, being the former Soviet Union, people were accustomed to obeying. It was a very different system. Sure. And so you didn't see people not obey, right? You didn't see, you, people were staying in and people were in when they were supposed to be. And so I just encourage people to really do what they've said 
for us to do, to obey, so to speak. And sometimes it's a little bit harder for Americans because we are we're opinionated. We've been taught to give our opinion and to, to be creative and to branch out and to go for it and all those kinds of things. And so I just would encourage people at this time to just, to just chill, to relax, to rest, and to take this time as incredible, incredible family time. Okay, I want to ask you a question on that, and we'll wrap it up here. As an educator, mm-hmm. as a missionary, uh, a pastor, and a mom in chief in this family, um, do you see opportunity in this time of crisis? Oh, of course, I do. I do. I mean, just taking walks with our college students because there's nothing else that they could do, and Dad goes, "Come on, let's get out and go for a walk." But the conversations that you have that you would never have because you just are taking a walk because you gotta get outside and the converse, it leads to conversation. I feel like parents should think every moment of the day, where is my teaching moment for my child? Mm. You know, And I'm not talking about a teacher as a teacher, I'm talking about as a parent, instilling in them the values that God would have them. I have a teacher that's a Christian that works for me and, and um, she sent me today her video on thankfulness and yesterday was her video on joy. And so she's using, she's using the fruit of the spirit every day in, in, her, in her teaching of her children, but we as parents probably could, could do that as well, those teaching moments for our children. Um, I think the family time, it's, you know, our kids are, are just, they're like hungry and thirsty for us. And so any time that we can put on our schedules them, like that they actually see on that daily schedule that I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. tomorrow is, is our time. Wow. Tomorrow is, you, is time for you. They'll just be like, oh my gosh, my mom has time for me. Oh my gosh, my dad has time for me. It occurred to me as you said that, that it might be our children don't look back on this and remember the hard time that we look back on it and remember. They, won't. they look back on it and remember the closeness, the intentionality, mm-hmm. the slowing down of the busyness by force and mom and dad's presence. It's true. And I also would encourage, because this is one thing that we, we had a family motto. So I encourage you to take this time into, you know, a family vision or a family motto and talk about it. Um, you know, what, what can we have? What can we have for our family vision or our family motto? Yeah. And ours was, um, let's make a difference in someone's life every day in some way. And, you know, even my college student, he did a, he was having an interview for a scholarship and they said, what's one quote that really is meaningful to you? And that's what he told them was that quote, because that was our family motto. Wow. So during this time, I really feel like, you know, we're very, very, we all have hardships. We really do. I mean, I, if you would have, again, if you would have asked me hours ago to answer these questions, I'd be like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is driving me crazy working in my home. We but the fact have- that you are feeling that gives me so much <laughs> hope. <laughs> so, so it's one of those things, it's like taking ourselves out of our situation because there's so many people in our city that are in need. I mean, just right around, even our neighbors, you know, some of them you know, can't pay their bills in the, in the course of the next few weeks and months. And right. so how can I be a blessing to the people around me? How we as a family can decide to do that together. I think this is an opportune time for that. To have a family vision, a family motto, and how can we can make it, how we as a family can make a difference. What powerful, simple, and practical takeaways. You know, if I had to make a series of teaching moments out of all of the things that are happening today, I'd buckle under the pressure. I'm trying to teach my own soul how to do okay. But if I can ask myself, where is my teaching moment today? How can I make a difference? And how can I lead my family to make a difference 
today. And then I, I'm exhausted, fall into bed, get up tomorrow, and God will give me grace to ask those questions again. That is living well. That's great coaching. That's great pastoring. Thank you so much for loving our church, Kira. You know, we have Arvis here with us. Would you mind, can I call an audible Arvis and ask you to join? And while we have you here, before we part, uh, would you pray a blessing over our church family? Uh, if you could just, here. Just pray right into the microphone. And if you guys would each just maybe take a turn and just pray a blessing over our church family as we part. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for this time, Lord. And we thank you for who you are in our lives, Father. We thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Father. We thank you for all your many blessings. We thank you for Christ who died on the cross for us. And may we, during this time, Father, may we begin to even more understand that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches and that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. And I thank you, Father, for the fruit that we will bear as a church family, as families, as individuals during this difficult season. It's kind of a barren season in some respects, but I just thank you, Father, that we will bear fruit because we will choose to make a difference in the world around us. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, for this opportunity to come to you. And we ask for many, many blessings, Lord, not only to our families, not only to our church members, but Lord, we pray that God's wisdom sends on this church, on the pastor or in leadership for the great job they do. They, they, uh, the pastor equips us with the wisdom, with the knowledge, what we need to do in, in a time of crisis. Father, we thank you and we love you so much. And Lord, let us be changed for your glory, and let, let us see your glory fall on this city. Lord, protect all of us from young to old, any race. And Lord, touch everybody, not only in the city, in a county, or in a, in a state, but go across the world because the world is dying. The world is looking for a hope. And Lord, we know you are a merciful God, and we thank you that you stretch your hand, and you're going to protect us and guide us through these hardships because you are God who provides everything what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Arvis, Kira, thank you so much for taking time in the midst of such a crazy time uh, to love and nurture our church and to give us such practical coaching. We love you guys and appreciate you. And hey, everybody, God bless you. May God's health and peace rest on your home today. We love you a lot.